Hi, this is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is March 4th, 2021. And this particular podcast features uh, Keith Siska in Texas and Jake Feldman in New York. And we're going to do something uh, unprecedented today. Uh, We are going to use a podcast to actually explore one of the most fundamental concepts of the LSAT. Uh, specifically uh, conditional statements, conditional reasoning. And interestingly, there was a post this week in the group uh, where people were asked to list the concepts that they found most confusing and had the most difficulty with. And conditional statements actually was at the the top of the list. So this is a great place to begin. And we will see... uh, what we can discover here today and our goal by the way is to keep this as simple as possible those of you who've ever read any blog posts i've ever written will know that i am personally committed to the principle that simplicity is virtue in life and especially on lsat because for those taking the lsat well lsat is life so uh welcome keith welcome jake how are you today Doing well. Thanks, John. Thanks. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, this is going to be a very, very interesting experiment, and I appreciate your willingness to travel down this road with me today. So you would agree with me, I think, okay, that if you were to look at basic, that the LSAT tests reading and reasoning and conditional statements probably is one of the most basic reading skills and reasoning reading reasoning skills on the test. Would you both agree with that? Yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Though, though I would say that, it, that in certain ways it appears basic. And as, as we're going to find out at the end of this thing, uh, it's not as straightforward as it seems. And there are certain ways that it can make, make one's life a whole lot harder. Well, our job is to make people's lives easier. That's so. Right. Let's try to keep this as simple as we possibly can. I am going to begin our discussion, if you will permit me, by introducing an incredibly simple statement. And let's begin with just what the statement means, what it doesn't mean, before getting into specific inferences that can be made one way or the other. Let's begin with the statement, if somebody suffers a stroke, then they die. If stroke, then die. Now, the first question I'd like to ask you is, uh, one, uh, does the statement mean that anybody's actually suffered a stroke? No. No, no. Absolutely not. So the first thing we know is that it's a hypothetical statement, right? Hypothetically, if we find out that somebody suffered a stroke, Apparently, the statement is telling us that the person dies, correct? Right. Yeah. But from real life experience, is it, all, is it always true that if somebody suffers a stroke that they die? Is that a, is that a, a true statement, yes or no? Nope. Clearly not. not. There's all kinds of stroke survivors walking the streets. They clearly suffered strokes. They did not die. So really, when we look at the statement, we have a statement that, is first of all, completely hypothetical. We don't know that anybody suffered a stroke, but it's also a statement that even if somebody suffered a stroke, it would not necessarily be true, correct? 
Right. So it's a hypothetical. Okay, not necessarily true. Starting from that point, though, how do you interpret the statement? What does it actually say? If stroke, then die. Do you, how do you understand the statement? Does that mean, according to the statement, if somebody suffers a stroke, they necessarily die? It, yes. It, it, it does on its face, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, it sure does on its face. So the statement, if stroke, then die, guarantee if you suffer a stroke, you die. So perhaps to introduce some of the language of LSAT for a minute, in this set of circumstances, would suffering a stroke be a guarantee or a sufficient condition for death? It would be. Okay, absolutely. Yes. So we have a statement that is stroke is a sufficient condition for death. Okay, but to keep it in very simple terms, the fact of a stroke guarantees death, correct? In in, in this world, absolutely. And this and this world that we're given. Okay. Yeah. So that's a hypothetical. Now Let's ask ourselves what we might be able to infer from that hypothetical. So if the fact of suffering a stroke is an absolute guarantee of death, Jake, I, I see you're alive and well on my screen. I am. What do we know from the fact that you're alive and well on the screen? Well, it means I must not have suffered a stroke. That's right. Jake did not suffer a stroke. He lives on to continue his teaching because what we're told is that if the fact of suffering a stroke means you definitely died, and if he's alive, it means that he certainly could not have suffered a stroke, right? Yep. So if you were to generalize that reasoning, let's imagine that we're not talking about strokes and death anymore. Let's say we have if A, then B. Fact of A guarantees B. So if we don't have B, then... What could we infer from that? Uh, we must we must know that A isn't present. Then we don't have A, right? So does it make sense to you then to say that in general terms, if we have a conditional statement, if A then B, okay, without even getting into whether we have a fact, just working on the basis of a conditional, if A then B, that the fact of not having B would mean we don't have A? That it would, in fact, mean that. Okay. Very, very simple. What about another example? If it's raining, then the roads are wet. What happens if the roads are not wet? Must not be raining. Can't be raining. And, you know, here's another one. If birth, then conception. What happens if no conception? No birth. All right. Well, that's a pretty simple relationship, isn't it? Right. Yep. And that relationship has has a word in the you know in the language of LSAT preparation. It's just all over the place, right? And that word is that's the call the principle. What is that? That's a contrapositive. Contrapositive, exactly. Yes. And, you know, and, and people thought that was difficult. So the contrapositive. To go from if A then B to not B then not A, if stroke then die, to no die then no stroke, if it's raining then the roads are wet, if the roads are not wet then it's not raining, that's a pretty good reasoning pattern, isn't it? It is, and, and you know, the, the truth is that 
it it's no it, it's no coincidence that these are the examples you give and for the last 15 years as i've been teaching this concept to my students i give nearly the same examples um, and, and these are universal examples. They're universally applicable. They're understandable. They're easy. And, and the challenge doesn't become in understanding them. It's making sure that we keep it this simple when we go to things that are more complex. Absolutely. If it's simple, we don't want to get involved in it. But you know, there are a lot of people who just don't like simplicity. They think it's beneath them. <laughs> they would feel absolutely embarrassed to recognize the validity of that simplicity, right? Have you yeah. seen that in, in your travels? So, so often. What the, else the, have you got for me? Anybody can do that, right? What else have you got for me? Well, look, I mean, you know, the, the, the truth is that, that it, it cuts deep at the student, right? If the student walks into the LSAT or the SAT or whatever standardized assessment they've got and they don't perform well, their immediate presumption is, well, it must be hard. Right. Because otherwise, if it were easy, I'd be able to do it right away and I would see it right away. And so it, it feels like a personal attack from the, from the test. If the test were easy, why didn't I get it the first time? And I think we don't get it the first time precisely because it's simple, be precisely because the simplicity is hidden underneath complex construction and complex language. But the underlying concepts, that's dangerous when it's simple because you don't want it to be that way. That means that you never saw it to begin with, which is, it doesn't feel good from the perspective of that, that, that is exactly right. I mean, you know, everybody in life is perfectly willing to be defeated by a difficult adversary. But yeah. when it becomes simple, it's impossible to acknowledge it. And we got to keep it simple. So, so we go back to this example. You know, we've been talking about this in terms of it being a hypothetical. It's also interesting to note that the, the first example of stroke and die is not an actually true statement agreed, but yeah. we have to work with the statements as we're given. Now, why don't we bridge this step further now, right? So far, we've been talking about this just on the level of the statement itself. Why don't we just add some actual facts to the hypothetical, all right? So here we go. If stroke, then die. You walk into a room and you know there's an announcement that somebody has suffered a stroke. What, if anything, can you infer for sure? Well, you can ensure if they had the stroke that they're going to die. Absolutely. Okay. So for sure they've died. Okay. Now that's in a must follow from sense. Now let me ask you this. You walk into the emergency. We don't know whether he suffered a stroke. Does that mean that we know he's not going to die? Nope. Do we know plenty of other reasons for people to die? Sorry, what's that? There are plenty of other reasons for people to die other than strokes. Exactly. So the fact of a stroke means dead for sure. The fact of no stroke does not mean that we confer that he did not die. Correct. Yep. So the reasoning pattern, if A then B, fact A, therefore fact B, is good. Yeah, I mean, you know, Keith and I were talking about this yesterday with regard to truth tables. I don't know if we if we want to go that that far into the te the technical part of things, but one of the, one of the ways that I describe it to people is that when you set up these conditionals, you have this antecedent first, right? This if a, and that's the first thing. If that gets triggered, then you worry about what's happening to b. But if a doesn't get triggered, you don't know anything, and you stop and you move on. Exactly. And, and that's, a, that's it's very hard for people to embrace. Hmm? 
you know, or this is a very basic error for, you know, our principal and people who study computer programming, you know, when you set up a subroutine or something, you either have what triggers it or you don't. Okay. Yeah. Well, if A then B, okay, if stroke then die, okay, we know if somebody suffers a stroke, they definitely die. If they don't suffer a stroke, we don't know anything one way or the other from the statement. Agreed. Yep. We've already talked about fact. Look, Jake, he's still alive here, so we know for sure that Jake did not suffer a stroke. Agreed? Agreed. But let's say that we walk into a room and Jake is lying there dead on the floor. Too much tutoring. <laughs> Can we make any inference at all with respect to whether he suffered a stroke? Absolutely not, because we know from the statement, if stroke, then die, stroke guarantees death. But there's nothing about the statement that says that it's the only thing that guarantees death. Right? Yeah. So if we look at this in an incredibly simple way, right, we have if, if A, then B, and then we have some facts, it seems to me we have two forms of good reasoning and two forms of bad reasoning. So the good reasoning would be, if A then B, fact A means fact B, or not having B means not A, those would be the good reasoning, yes? Yep. And the bad reasoning would be, if we have if A then B, if we don't have fact A, nothing follows. And if we have, and if we do have fact B, nothing follows. Now, in the interest of simplicity, in your view, is that a reasonable summary of how conditional statements work? I, I, th I think for sure that is the foundation on which conditional reasoning has to be has to be laid. If we don't if you don't get that, you can't really move forward. Okay. Because all of the subtle all of the subtleties, all of the bits and pieces, all of the ways that it interconnects with all of the other concepts uh, that, I mean, it, within LSAT world, all of the other concepts that it connects to, if that part isn't there, we, you can't move on. Okay. Would you, were you in agreement with that too, Keith? You know, I, I find the whole symbolic reductionist uh, approach to conditional statements to be a, a type of simplification and there are many instances where a simplification will do. And there are some instances where that simplification is misleading. And I think one of the difficulties for me with the example, why I'm letting Jake kind of drive the show right now, is that when you start off with a false conditional, you're already fighting intuition. I, when I think about the questions you're asking me, do we know whether you've had a stroke because you're alive, you know, yada, yada. My, I have trouble fighting my intuition that I know we're talking about an absurdity. And I don't think the LSAT goes to the realm of absurdities. I think that the conditional relationships that they assert are plausible. And I find them more, more tangible than these artificial uh, models that we're learning. So I don't doubt that this is an important foundation, but, um, but I think if a student believes that this is the end of the model, then we've really misled them. 
And I think the end that of the model or the end of the foundation. What's that? The end of the model or the end of the foundation. I, I think the model is ultimately can never be a perfect substitute for the natural language. And I think where students are is that many of them understand the model and they don't understand the disconnect between what they feel is correct about these statements and what the model is telling them is correct about the statements. They don't understand why they feel that tension. And I think it's because we as tutors have attempted so hard to divorce the two that the students are confused. They think, well, why should I interpret it in that mechanical way when my intuition is telling me that's not the way to interpret this? There's where I think the real difficulty is with my students. I have no problem getting them to agree with A implies B and not B implies not A and the false you know, direction is to read the arrow backward, et cetera. But where I have a very difficult time getting them on board is to understand that that model is the first step toward understanding conditional logic, not the full picture. Okay, so leading us forward then, where do we go from there? What would be the next piece in the puzzle? You know, it, one of the things that Keith and I were talking about yesterday as we were sort of discussing conditionality was this idea that there are many forms of conditionality, right? And and the 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 formal logicians will sort of split it up into type 0, type 1, type 2, type 3 and what they call mixed type. And it it doesn't really matter what they are. That's not that's not the important bit. Um but the important bit is that when you look at this sort of table of of conditional types that first type, the type zero type, is the hypothetical one. It's if water boils, it evaporates, right? It's something that is purely definitional. And it, when you come up with something that's purely definitional, then it follows along this foundational conditionality perfectly, right? right? That's the perfect version. But anything that isn't definitional when you move on to the other types, things that are predictive or things that are uh, calls to action, right? Should, would, could. Um, then you then you get out of the strictness of that model and start getting into degrees of things or predictions of things where it's not purely conditional anymore. Now it's predictive. Now it might be causal, right? So we have okay, to be well, really. Why don't we, why, you know, since you use the word causal, mm -hmm. and now you started out with definitional, which I think you called a type zero, but let, let's just stick with the word definitional. Mm -hmm. Let's extend the discussion into causal, okay, and and see if there's anything about the fact that it's causal that would change the model. Sure. So, can you give an example of a causal statement? Um, if Keith studied more, he would be performing better on his LSAT. Okay. If Keith studied more, can I paraphrase by that saying sure. yeah, that, sure. uh, that he does better? Sure. Okay. Now, can I ask you this? Let's go back to the base model and work with that statement. If Keith studies more, then he does better. Okay. Does that change the application of the rules at all? And if so, well, how? 
Slightly. So, so, so we have to be we have to be really careful about the grammar, right? The way that you changed it, you moved it back into the present tense and made it definitional. If he studies more, he does better. That presumes the truth. But if you change it into simple past tense, if he studied more, he would be performing better. It's no longer definitional. Now it's predictive. It's saying, I'm looking at what happened in the past, and I'm seeing what might be happening in the present were things different, but they aren't. And I also and that they'll move it outside the realm of a conditional, uh, of, a, of sort of a logical conditional into something, into a sentence that uses conditional language. Right. Correct. It's no longer a conditional state. Right. Exactly. That's where we are, right? only partially yeah. conditional and it's also implicating causal relationships and i think the way that that changes the the matter is that this is why students feel intuitively that that false negation is correct because under this under this instance where me studying more causes me to do better me studying less would theoretically have the reciprocal result i wouldn't do better and that's the false negation that you were criticizing a moment ago and this is where i think students really start to lose grasp of the model because they know that there is a causal connection in the background that is driving the the deduction that they want to make and then the tutors are saying no that's wrong but okay. it's not wrong it's just not a perfect deduction well or or it's not actually a conditional statement okay right, right. more to the point it's oh it's a a statement that has words in it that are sometimes also in conditional statements, but it's not a conditional statement. So right. it seems to me where this brings us back, okay, is to what is a conditional and what are the limitations of seeing it as a conditional? So let's let's focus on that question, which I think is where we are in the discussion, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. That's fruitful, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. So help me with that then. When we talk about conditional reasoning for the purposes of the LSAT, we are talking about what kind of statement and how do we know when we're no longer talking about that kind of statement? Yeah, that's a million dollar question, right? There's no mechanical way. You have to be really good at grammar. You have to be able to recognize tense and mood. You have to be very good at paraphrasing sentences. It, it's There is no simple answer, and that's why Jake and I, in preparation for this podcast, we really spun ourselves into circles because every simplification that we came up with ultimately reached a limit and failed to produce a correct paraphrase at some point in the process. Yeah. The, well, the one the one thing that I did hit on, and I and I've been using this technique for years. This goes back to my to my days doing analogies on the old SAT. Um, when you do analogies on the old SAT, the whole gig was to say instead of trying to sort of divine a relationship between the words uh, on your own, use the word means. Right. Um, so alphabet means a collection of letters, just like you know, some other collection, and there's the analogy. So in, in the case of conditionality versus causality, the only trick that I've got that really elucidates, really shines a light on this, is to try to rewrite the sentence using the word cause. And if you can, and it makes sense, then it's not conditional, it's causal, right? If you take the sentence, if water boils, it evaporates, and rewrite it with the word causes, does water boiling cause it to evaporate? 
not yes. i mean <laughs> yes but yes uh, yeah i mean it's not great it, yeah okay fine well <laughs> i think uh, keith, keith is cackling now demonstrating is this yeah. uh that when we read stuff on the LSAT, we absolutely have to concern ourselves with what is the meaning they are trying to convey with the language. What's the intended meaning? Not with uh, specifically what are the words, because that's not going to be determinative of the meaning in any case, right? Right. 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 It's not it's not merely indicative uh, indicative language. It's not a guarantee. The the language in on an LSAT question or in an LSAT question is in no way a guarantee of the meaning that is intended to be conveyed, correct? Right. Right. Okay. So where we're back to, which is, you know, in my view, what the whole LSAT is actually about, all right, is understanding what you're being told correct yeah all right so let's talk about the principles for that now what are the mistakes that people routinely make when they read lsat material that creates barriers to understanding what's the meaning of the information like what are the things you see people doing wrong Lack of charitability. We talk about it all the time. They read things, interpret it one way, and run with it, and never consider alternate interpretations. And I think the best readers interpret things multiple ways and then select the best of those or select the one that jibes with the question and answers the, in the best way. So it's about juggling. You called it flexible interpretation last time. We've been describing it as charitable due to the principle of charity in, in logical discourse. But same same idea, you can't get locked into your concept of what it means. You have to be open to several and then interpret based on context and strength of argument. Okay, so to paraphrase, maybe something like, well, this is what I think it means, but I've got to check and see how it fits into the whole thing. And, and are there other interpretations that it's amenable to? Like Jake said, could you substitute causal language in a paraphrase of a, a conclusion or of a conditional statement? If so, you can't ignore that, I don't think. It's not that that is the way to interpret it. It is a way to interpret it, and you should be flexible to all the plausible interpretations. That makes it so much harder. I mean, you know, we're talking about simplicity. Rhetoric and argumentation are not simple. They involve a lot of nuance and deference and careful reading and interpretation. Yeah, I I I, I agree. And and uh, on a on a parallel note, I think it's really important to be sensitive to the purpose of the stimulus, to the purpose of the language, not merely yeah. what the what the language is on the page. Right? It's not always literal, right? That's a good point. Right. Could, the, the, you, could you flush that out with a bit of an example there, Jake? Sure. So I if, can think of one if you have. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. If, if you've got one offhand. We've seen these conclusions lately that say if we want to increase revenue, we should raise taxes. And it has all the trappings of a conditional statement. But 
it's not conditional, it's causal. It means the way to increase revenue is to increase taxes or increasing taxes would increase revenue. It's a causal statement at its core and um, the conditional language is highly misleading there. If you stick to interpreting that with an if-then model, I think you're sunk on that kind of yeah. uh, argument because the purpose of the argument is to demonstrate the relationship, not to suggest that we should do one thing or the other, even though should is used in the conclusion, not only conditional language, but then that prescriptive language should, and it doesn't mean either. It doesn't mean if, and it doesn't mean should, it means because or cause. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, really it's, a, it, it's a really tricky colloquialism. It's this weird way that we use conditional language to, to, um, to, to guard against certainty in the way that we communicate with people. But it really doesn't. It doesn't mean that we're posing a, a conditional. We're not. We're not concluding a conditional. Instead, the antecedent of the conditional, the if we want to, if we want to increase tax revenue, right? That's really just a minor. Uh, it's a major premise, right? That's all it is. We live in the world in which we want to do this. That's what we mean by saying if we want to raise tax revenue. And the way to do it, what would cause that to happen is the consequent of the conditional. And so it's really artificial to think of that as an antecedent and a consequent or necessary and sufficient. Or uh, if then or whatever. Right, you a careful call it. reader would paraphrase that down, or I should say a strong reader, not just a careful reader. Yeah. Well, a care okay. Leaving aside careful reader, strong reader, somebody who's reading this accurately. All right, would understand the purpose of it, aka the conclusion to simply be, and you know, the result of my 30 minute speech to you should be obvious. All right, that the way to increase revenue is we really should raise taxes. I, I love that paraphrase, John, actually, because what you what we went from if we want to to the way to do it. And and you've you've evoked the same image that I keep telling people, right? Imagine yourself at the dais in front of a thousand people at a speech tournament, right? What's the whole point? The whole point is that you're trying to communicate an idea to people, and you're trying to defend it with evidence and with rules. Um, and so that's the framework, that's the lens that you need to be looking at all this all this stuff through. When when does the LSAT have its conclusion as a valid? Um, a valid conditional. They're never trying to prove a conditional. They Sometimes. use condition, not as not as the conclusion of an argument. No, It'll no, be they do parallel reasoning questions. It's called a conditional proof. I've seen. Well, yeah, but th but yeah, but that's that's different. That's that's using a, a syllogism as right, a parallel right. for another syllogism, right? Right. But but in but in this case, they're never trying to demonstrate the validity of of a conclusion as a conditional other than having it be part of the hypothetical world. Usually when you see conditionals in, in conclusions, it's Much. really just a weird paraphrase of meaning something different. It's a of, paraphrase of, of the bottom line. It's a paraphrase yeah. of the purpose. Okay. Well, there it's is one other example. You know, we've seen a, a number of arguments lately, John, that where, you know, this would kind of go against my my argument, where actually the model form works better because the argument runs like this. It'll say, you know, these people believe X, but they're wrong. And the reason they're wrong is because if they were right, this absurd result would have followed. And what they're invoking there is the contrapositive. The absurd result did not follow, therefore they must be wrong. And in that instance, 
I would actually agree with you that the, the semantics are rather tricky. And if you just understand the contrapositive, you can, you can visualize the entire structure of the logic much simpler. So right. there's an example where I think the model actually does cut to well, the case. Okay, okay. Now, let, let's just pause here for one second, okay? Because, sure. you know, we're well, presumed listeners of this are people who are suffering, uh, you know, test anticipatory test day anxiety. Uh, you know, and, and I think that if we can uh, convey things they don't have to do, that's probably pretty good. And I used to have this concept when I taught, which I call the LSAT toolbox, all right, where, you know, you walk around with a limited number of ideas, tools that can be helpful to you, and you use them when necessary. So would the two of you as experienced LSAT teachers buy into the idea and what we started out with as sort of the foundational uh, reasoning, okay, the way the foundational conditional reasoning works is a tool that should be, that's available to be used when and if it helps. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. But the mistake, of course, and, you know, unless the world's changed a great deal, all right, I would assume that a lot of your students and I see this, by the way, in the comments in the group, okay, where they are trying to get somebody to explain to them how specifically to use one of these tools, whether it's conditional statements or something else, in relation to a question. And your answer is, well, we're not going to do that because we're just getting in the way of understanding what we're being told. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. right. Yeah. Often. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say if, if somebody is deep in the weeds trying to understand, especially a logical reasoning question, trying to understand it by, by invoking conditional reasoning and formal conditional logic in order to understand it, they are too deep in the weeds. They need to, they need to zoom out. They need to see it from 40,000 feet first. And then they can go in there and say, oh, I see how, the, how they were intending the conditional logic to line up. But if they well, if they don't get it first, then then the conditional isn't going to help them. Well, I, I think that the, I think that that's right. Um, so I think that a lot of what we're talking about here is, on the one hand, my sense of this is that we all agree that it is important to understand the fundamental, you know, sort of launching pad that we started with today. Yeah. Yes. On the other hand. Uh, that might be necessary, but it's far from sufficient for the simple reason <laughs> that the real task is to know when to use it and when not. Agreed? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Okay, well, this has been fantastic. Uh, thanks very much to Keith and Jake for, you know, what I found personally to be a great discussion. I certainly hope that uh, listeners who are in the LSAT study group will uh, take some of the thoughts here uh, seriously, particularly uh, the key here is to understand what the questions are telling you, what the answer choices are asking you, and all of these, uh, you know, conditional statement or causal argument or, you know, type of question. These are, these are just tools that are in the background to use when necessary. There's absolutely no substitute for understanding uh, what information you're being told in the question. So thanks again, Keith and Jake. Great to chat with you. Thank you, John. Thank you. Till next time.